We're uh, coming to an end. We've got one more sermon in the Sermon on the Mount next week. So we're going to hit a couple of different places today, starting in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus, uh, 13, 7, 13. Jesus writes, Enter through the narrow gate. Your King James says straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now to verse 23. Where am I? Where am I? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Let's have a word of prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you had reporters there at the time. You had his disciples, apostles there to write down Jesus' teachings for us. Lord, thank you for preserving those over these millennia. And we thank you for the truth and the knowledge they impart upon us. Lord, help us to be attentive to your word. Help us to listen with open hearts and minds and empower your Holy Spirit, extra special, to speak to us in a new and deep way. We thank you for Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Most of us are familiar with the poem by Robert Frost, The Road Not Traveled. And you often see it, the road less traveled, and that's a little bit of an uh, uh, adaption to the title, but it's The Road Not Traveled. And I want to read it for you. It does apply to our sermon today, our message. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent with undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black, Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads to way, I doubted should I ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made the difference. As I was thinking about that, and, and parenthetically, or let me digress and add, that poem was written in 1915. What happened around here in 1915? It's about the time this edifice went up. Interesting. In thinking about this, I, w I was preparing my sermon, getting my thoughts together, and thought of that poem. 
And, and his poem, of course, it touches and has touched generations and speaks to them. And as I see, talking about the two roads, we all come to two roads in our faith. As we grow into, uh, into adulthood, as we reach that age of accountability, that nebulous time we like to talk about, but that's an age where we start becoming cognizant of our sins, of our need for a Savior, and the Holy Spirit deals with us. We come to two roads of faith. One faith, one way to live, is, is attractive and appealing. And it draws many people in. A lot of people go that way. Jesus talked about wide is the road, and many go therein. And then there's another road that doesn't look quite as good, not as well-traveled. It's overgrown, perhaps, or just from not being used. It doesn't look very attractive because there's a struggle. We see that that road was created through the blood of an unblemished lamb for our behalf. And so, so many will choose the grassy, meadowy road that looks fun and inviting and lots of people are going and fewer, and it seems fewer and fewer, are choosing the path that Jesus talks about, the narrow road, the straight road. And truthfully, you, while you can always go from the bad one to the good one, once you're on the good one, you're there. And, and you should want, I don't believe people can revert back. But one road, when you choose that popular road, the pleasing road, the road that pleases self, the road that takes care of my needs, Jesus teaches us it leads to destruction. And of course, again, in the Bible, we have to read with depth and understanding. Yes, some of those actions we take may lead to physical destruction. They may lead to drug use that riddles our body, uh, emaciated and unable to function and eventually die. It may put us in a situation that we're in a terrible accident because of our stupidity or recklessness. But the Bible really here is talking about the eternal measure of destruction, of that eternal death, that eternal separation from God. And while we can read Jesus' words on hell, and we can read what the Bible says, and it's an awful place. We, we really can't describe it. To me, the awfulest about it is we're never, ever again in the presence of Almighty God. We're never, ever again in the presence of any goodness. You see, here on earth, even with all our troubles going on, even with all the turmoil, we still have the influence of Jesus Christ in the world today and through his Christians. And there is some good. Someone was relating to me a story this week that there are good people out there as, as uh, someone they knew had left their billfold, their wallet in a store and it had 300 crisp dollar bills in it. Someone found that turned it in to the manager, all intact, didn't take it. And there are good people out there, we know that. The bad ones get the press, bad ones are on the news. 
but there is good in this world. But eternity without Jesus Christ is an eternity completely separated from anything good. And we can't conceive of just what that would be like. When I was a boy, I was raised in the church, baptized in Little Creek in Northwest Florida. Our wood frame church didn't have a baptistry. And grew up in the church and, and knowing those things. And I went to summer camp each summer, Christian camp. One summer, or one year leading up to that, I think it was my junior year in high school, sophomore, junior year, I started thinking about my salvation. You see, my life, in a way, hadn't changed. I'd grown up in a Christian home, uh, plenty rotten, but never as rotten, not as rotten as you can get. And I accepted Christ as my Savior, but my life didn't really change at that time. And so I started questioning that faith, wondering about it. And that, that summer, there was a, a speaker there called Bill Prince, and I found time to talk with Bill and talk through this with him. And he questioned me on, on my decision to follow Christ and living for him after that. And, and he shared with me that uh, while it's no man's call, best he could tell from my testimony, I had accepted Christ genuinely. And so he just encouraged me to spend some time uh, before God and just reconnect. Well, leading up to that time, this, the, the leader of this camp was a man named Jonas Miller. He was a Mennonite from Pennsylvania, had moved down to Alabama, bought a bunch of farmland, and donated to a group called Children's Bible Mission for a summer camp for children. And during the year, they went out to the schools and taught Bible, back when you could do that. Well, I was thinking about this. I was laying in bed one night, and that's how I used to learn guitar. I would lay in the dark, because you can't cheat and see where your fingers are going. You just gotta feel it. And a song came to mind from the 60s, Don't It Make You Wanna Go Home. And that was getting to be the feeling that I'd wandered away from God, kind of sought my own way, doing my own thing. But I wanted to go back home. God had other plans for me. He wouldn't let me rest. He's drawing me. And then finally, now I've found the perfect rest. His will is now my goal. A song I need to, need to do for you sometime. I took it to the camp that summer, told Jonas Miller, the camp director, about it. And he tells me that he was in Dothan, Alabama, uh, in a Waffle House or some, maybe a Huddle House, I don't know, give them equal building. And these words that I'd shared with him came back and he started writing out the words to the song that I call my testimony. And it, it goes over like I just said. And so I was in that time thinking and realizing about coming home to God, following that road, choosing that path. We have those paths in front of us that we can choose to go. Reject Christ as our Savior, accept Christ as our Savior. We all face that. And which way will we choose? One way does look difficult and maybe not fun. The other way looks inviting. The choices are easily laid out, equally laid out before us. And that's what Robert Frost is talking about. And that's really what God is talking about here. And God has called his people over and over again to that as far back as Adam and Eve in Genesis. He said, you can have everything. It's all yours. 
except that one thing. And they had to choose, and they chose poorly. And that brought sin into the world. Later on, Joshua finishes leading the Israelites out of uh, Egypt and into the Canaan land. Moses had started it. They'd wandered. Jo Joshua finished it. After they got settled, after they defeated many of the armies, it was an ongoing process, but they were able to settle the land. Joshua calls him to a meeting. He's getting elderly, going to need to step down. Soon he'll go home to be with the Lord. And he reminds them of all that God had done, how they were under oppression in Egypt, and how they cried out to God for deliverance. And God did deliver them. You're familiar with the story. He led them into the wilderness. And as we talked about, God's intention was for them to go right into Canaan. It wasn't the plan for them to wander 40 years. It was however time it took to get from Egypt to Canaan is how long before they were to go into the Promised Land. But again, they chose poorly. They chose not to follow God. So Joshua's recounting all this, recounting how God fed them in the wilderness, how he gave them water, how he cared for them, protected for on and on. And then he lays the challenge down to them. He said, now, if it seems better to you to be in Egypt under oppression, under uh, pagan leaders, pagan gods, then choose that. But if it seems good to you to worship the holy God who has protected you, provided for you, then do that. But choose ye this day whom you will serve. And God repeats that over and over in Scripture, and Jesus is to that point now. There's two ways to go. There's a wide way that leads to destruction. There's a narrow way that may not have some of the worldly fun, worldly riches, but it walks with God all along the way, giving you strength through turmoil, giving you help through times of trouble. And few choose the narrow way. And then he goes on, as we go, continue in the chapter, there at verse 21, I, it talks about the tree and the fruit and how a good tree can't have bad fruit and vice versa. Then he gets down to 21, really speaking home to us. He's not speaking to unsaved people. He's not speaking to unchurched people. He's speaking to his people those who profess to believe in him. And he says, guess what? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is teaching us that lip service won't cut it. That we can praise Jesus all day. We can say all the church words. We can do all those kind of things. We can be religious. We can, we can attend church. We can do all those things. But it can all be a show. And it's not, that is not going to earn a way into heaven. The way into heaven, the way into God's grace is faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and Him alone. Faith through Jesus Christ, not of works. And that then... After that faith, that's, that's getting the right step forward first. Then the other things fall in place. The other things come as obedience. 
giving to God's ministries because he's commanded us to give. He's told us to give and, it, and we will receive packed down, overflowing, abundant. He teaches us to do unto others as they, we would have them do unto us. That was a verse last week. To be kind, to be understanding, to be gracious. Even if somebody does stupid, you can still be gracious and not tell them they were stupid. You can, uh, you can just uh, help them. That's what they need, help. And so Jesus teaches us all these things, that that, that comes after he is our Savior, he is our Lord. And unfortunately, we as Christians too often try to be the Holy Spirit for other people. We try to tell them they're not approved by God unless they do this, unless they dress this way, or unless they act this way, and that's got nothing to do with it, and that's not our role. The Holy Spirit leads and guides. So Jesus says, lip service ain't going to cut it. Just so you talk, just cause you talk a good game, that's not what gets you to heaven. And then he says, many will say unto me that day, Lord, did we not prophesy or teach in your name? In your name, didn't we drive out demons and perform many miracles? Which tells us there's a supernatural power. See, I believe that's real. You can say, you can poo-poo it, say it doesn't happen. But God's Word said it, I believe it. It says that there, there's something there we need to be aware of. So they say, Lord, we did all these wonderful works in your name. And he said, that doesn't cut it. That's not the crux. That's not it. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. We sang that song earlier, He Knows My Name. And that's the question as we get down to the end of life. Does he know your name? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Is it genuinely written there? Or are you playing Christian, playing church? That's not meant to instill doubt but we need to be sure our salvation is sure. And one thing that uh, Billy Graham's quoted to say, a lot of things he said, of course, are quoted, but he's made the remark that half the people in our church pews don't know Christ. And that's a problem because the church is God's body here on earth, and he, he calls on the body to do things supernaturally, beyond understanding, more than uh, the church can do. And the reason it gets done is when believers are filled with the Holy Spirit, one listening to what God says to do, and then doing what God says to do, and He provides the strength. So, if people don't know Jesus Christ in that personal relationship, if they haven't received Him as their Savior, followed by Lord, then those people within the body don't have the Holy Spirit's strength to move the church forward. It, it, it gets down to just real logic. And so it really becomes incumbent that each one of us know Jesus Christ, certainly, so that we don't go the way of destruction, 
but so that we work effectively as God's hands, doing what he would have us do, doing it in his strength, and ministering to others. When we get down to the bottom line, God's desire is that people come to know Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. There's a lot of leeway in how that gets done. He didn't say your church must follow this pattern and look like this. He didn't say you must have church at 11 o'clock or 2 o'clock or on a Saturday or a Sunday. He says, worship me. And we, we develop these times, and it's not wrong. It's convenient. It largely grew out of an agrarian society that we meet at 11 o'clock on Sunday. That's why we used to have revivals in the fall for two weeks sometimes because it was right before the harvest and there was nothing to do, so they'd have a revival real quick. And so that it's, it makes sense and it's not bad, but God doesn't say, follow this prescribed thing. He says, worship me. He doesn't say, clap your hands in the service as a rule. He doesn't say, stomp your feet, but he does tell us to sing out in joy. And it's a wonderful thing when our heart is so full of God so full of rejoicing that you can't get, shut us up. You can't get us quiet. You can't lower our hands because that's how we want to relate to God. So Jesus is teaching us here. He's drawn us back. He's, he's, he's taught us. We looked at about treasures in heaven. He's taught us there's, there's a reason to live for heaven. There's a reason to live for that future this life is a short life. It's not really very long. And there are bigger rewards up there. So Jesus is assuring us after all the stuff He's told us we, gotta, we need to do to obey Him, He's saying it's not for naught. It's for a purpose. You will be rewarded. You are going to have eternal life in heaven forever. So He tells us all that, but then He draws back to this place of personal responsibility. You know, some people say, why is this in the world? Why is that in the world? And to me, it's an easy answer. I, I don't struggle with it because God chose to give us liberty. Liberty means we can choose right, we can choose wrong. And we prefer that. We really would not like it. I'm, I'm convinced us, us pig-headed humans if we had a God that said, okay, this is your schedule for the day, you're going to do that, and then you'll be home at 9 o'clock and you'll be in bed. We would rebel against that so much. We like liberty. But with that liberty means people can make bad choices. Adam and Eve made a bad choice, sin entered into the world. We deal with people every day around us making bad choices, and we suffer consequences from that. So God did that, and he's, he's calling to us, enter through the narrow gate. That's an implied subject. You enter. You take that step. You do the action. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many go that way, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. But he's saying, choose ye this day whom you will serve. That's what he's saying. And then he goes on that don't think. 
that just cause you say the right words or done this or done that, that I'll necessarily recognize you. And so that should be kind of a scary thing to us as we evaluate our life. Y'all know who Alice Cooper is, many of you, don't you? You're old enough to know the rock guy. Not my cup of tea, but that guy's become a Christian. And he is a testifying Christian. And he was sharing the other day with somebody, it was a video I was watching, that a lot of people say, and they come to the Lord because of God's love. Very good reason to come. He said, I came because of the fear of God. He knew the life he'd lived. He knew what was in his life. And he got the sense, the understanding, the faith that there was a judge that he was going to face one day. And he knew with what his life was, it wasn't going to stand up. And so he says it was the fear of God that changed his life. We need some of that. We, we need to be fearful. We, we have um, watered down God, and that's not really the word. We've made him so friendly that we just don't want to believe he could be judgment. He could issue judgment. But his word is true, and he said it. He's told us. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. At that point, the book will be opened to see if Wes's name is written there, to see if your name is written there. And so while we're here, as Jesus said in verse 13, Nope, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He expects us to be obedient. And I'll tell you something else that gives me fear. I've walked with the Lord 60 years, I guess now. Grew up in Christian homes. I mean, I've heard, I've heard it from Dr. Stanley. I've heard Stephen Olford. I've heard great preachers across our land, some in person, some recorded. So I can't claim ignorance, although I act ignorant. I can't claim ignorance. And God holds us accountable for the light we have received. Some of you are in the same boat with me. You've, you've heard the sermons over the years. You were there three times a week and in between some. Hearing the Word of God, you've read it, you've studied it. God holds us accountable for the light we have received. So we ask that question, am I living up to the light I have received? Am I doing what He has told me to do? Am I, am I using that? That's a Serious question. None of us can point to another. Our fingers come back at us. So Jesus does this. He's, he's calling us to this accountability. There's two ways to go. Or will you take the road less traveled, believing in me, 
allowing me to work in your life, to provide for you, to lead, guide, teach, do all those things. Even when the times are hard, believing there's a better day, a day of rest. Or will you go by your eyes, your desires, your heart, follow after, playing around with life, having a good time, not necessarily being rotten, but just not honoring God? That's what he's asking. Choose ye this day whom you will serve, because he also says today is a day of salvation. You all have had events in your life. Someone was gone quickly. We don't have a guarantee. Probably we'll be here tomorrow, but we don't have a guarantee. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to respond to God's word. Next week we'll close out chapter 7. We'll look at the wise and foolish builders. And so I hope you'll be ready for that. You can go ahead and read that last part of Matthew chapter 7, 24. And uh, we'll study God's word then. Let's stand as we sing. An odd day got me in an odd frame of mind, but I pray and that God's word has come through, that it's touched your heart. This is not an exercise in futility. It's not an exercise in wasted time. And it is my desire in serving you as pastor and serving God as his man, that you hear the word of God. And that my prayer is that you respond as God leads. If that's coming forward to let me know of a decision to speak to me, I'm here. If it's just staying in your seat, maybe not even singing, so you can talk to God. You do as God leads your heart. Let's sing.